Galatians chapter 5, and let's go ahead and stand. We're going to read two verses, verses 22 and 23. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. I need you to have a pen out because there are a lot of verses in this. I'm going to give you references that you can look up later, and I want you to see these. So if you have a pen, make sure you have a pen where you can write some things down with this. It says in, the, in verse number 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, um, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. There's nine fruits of the Spirit. We've already looked at the first three when we had our first family fellowship. We're going to look at the next three. And then the following one is September. We'll look at the final three with that. It's interesting when you get into these nine because the first three, they are good. The fourth one we'll look at and go, wow, that's a little bit more difficult. We like love in our life, amen? We like joy in our life. We like peace in our life. Then comes the next one, long-suffering. See how quiet it got? Amen, amen. Oh, wow. Long-suffering is not one that is really that we like. Then there's gentleness, goodness. Those are all right. And keep reading on as we, as we looked at those. What's the next one? Faith we like. But then there's this one called temperance. Oh, do you like temperance? That's controlling. That's being under self-control. There's meekness. I forgot meekness is in there. Meekness and temperance. Against such there's no law. But this fourth one is long-suffering. We're going to long-suffering. We're going to look at gentleness. And we are going to look at goodness tonight really quick. Long-suffering is one that... Um, if there's anybody that understood it, it was, it was the Apostle um, Paul. He understood long-suffering. He went through a lot of different things. Um, I would say he's probably the, the connoisseur of understanding what long-suffering was. And as you look at the word long-suffering, it comes from a Greek word. I'm going to try to pronounce this right. It's called makrothuma. You know what that word means? It means having the opportunity to avenge oneself, but choosing not to to do so. You have the opportunity to get somebody back, but you choose not to. Now, I, I can tell you this, that is not something that comes naturally to you. Now, one of these three we're going to look at today, everybody says they are, and that's the goodness one. You meet someone that's a lost, lost sinner, they'll tell you they're a good person. They've got good, good in them. But my Bible tells me that goodness is a fruit of the Spirit, which means the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to give you that, going to indwell you and make you have that goodness. Everything that you have when it comes to the Holy Spirit, He gives those to you. You've got to exercise them. So the first one is long-suffering. It means the opportunity to avenge oneself, but choosing not to do so. It's another word we use, and what's the word everybody loves that you don't pray for? It is what? Patience. Patience. It's another word we say is patience. You're long-suffering. You have patience in your life. And also, it's not letting anger take its course. Because when you're long-suffering, you don't let it build up inside of you. That's exactly the opposite of long-suffering. That is called bitterness, meekness, and, and bitterness, and it'll take, not meekness, but bitterness, and it'll bring, bring you to where you don't, don't need to be. So here you have this, this word, long-suffering. A long-suffering person can endure, endure while being ill-treated. Have you ever met somebody that just went through stuff and you don't know it and you start talking to them and then you find out, wow, they've went through a lot. And yet it doesn't show in their countenance, it doesn't show in their spirit. That's a long-suffering person. Christ is a perfect example of long-suffering. There's a story in the Bible that he says this, remember this statement, 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is a long-suffering spirit. It's not easy to do. And as, as, as time progresses in your, in your Christian walk, you, you can get it, but you have to tell yourself all the time, I have to, be, I have, to have long-suffering in my life. Um, it's also this, putting off anger and vengeance. Um, I think it's in the, book, the game of life. Isn't there a revenge thing where you spin and you put your revenge on there? And, and it's just that little board game and it teaches you to go after people, right? And Jesus said, listen, you know, we are not supposed to re revenge people. We're not supposed to avenge people. We're not supposed to go after them. We're supposed to let God take care of it. Either God is your judge and jury or you are. And when you are, guess what? It's not going to be a good thing. Because there's not, it's not going to be the thing that God wants you to do. There, there are many people, I've heard people say, well, you need to defend yourself. Jesus never defended himself. He was long-suffering. He went through a lot on, this, on the face of this earth, and he did it for us. He, was, he definitely suffered long. Realize what the Bible says about anger. What, if you've thought about this, long-suffering means you control your anger. What does the Bible say about anger? In Psalm, if you want to write this down, Psalm 37, 8, write it and look at it later. It says cease from anger. What does that mean? Stop doing it. Because once you let that anger take over, you're letting it control you rather than being the word we're looking at tonight, which is what? Long-suffering. Well, you don't know what I've went through. We don't know what anybody's went through. They can only tell you their story. But their face will tell another story if they're long-suffering. So we got to stay away from anger. It says, being slow to anger is better than being mighty in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. Sometimes people just want to have that mightiness in their life, but the Bible says, listen, being slow to anger is better than being mighty. It says, discretion deferreth anger in Proverbs 19, 11. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says this, anger rests in the bosoms of fools. Get mad over things. The Bible says that we are supposed to have um, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Realize what the Bible says about vengeance. Vengeance belongs what? To the Lord and the Lord only. We, we can say amen all we want, but do we believe it? Do we strike out at people? I know I equate a lot to driving, but when someone cuts me off, you know what I want to do? I want to cut them off. Do you feel your blood, your blood pressure rising when someone does something to you? And you want to go, Mark, you and I are the only ones that believe that. When something happens in my life, I want to attack full force. And that's why it says David was a man after God's own heart, because he didn't do that. Paul says this, and Paul was somebody that stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with a lot of people, but he said, listen, vengeance is not mine. Can you imagine how many times Paul would have been upset at people? Read what he went through. Shipwrecked. People stoned him thinking they had killed him. But he never retaliated, never picked up a stone and threw it back. He was somebody that was long-suffering. The Bible also says in Ephesians 4.31, it says, put anger away from you. Get it away from you because it will destroy you. Anger, bitterness, and all these things that take over from long-suffering... They will, they, will, they will not destroy the person you're angry at. They will, only they will only destroy the container that they're held in. And so there's a verse in the Bible that says this. I think it's in Colossians. It says this. It says, um, but now you also put off all, mal all, all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, 
Filthy communications out of your mouth. There's a listing of five things in that verse, and three of them have to do with anger. The first one's anger itself. Malice, it's another, another, another type of anger. There's wrath, another type of anger. Three out of the five deal with being mad. Purpose in your heart to develop the sweet disposition that God intended you to have. Well, you say, how can you do that? Go to Ephesians and flip to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verse number 26. There's nothing wrong with getting mad. It just needs to be controlled. Look at 426. The first six words says this, be ye angry and sin not. Well, that tells me that God gave us the emotion of being angry, but we're supposed to control it. I don't know how many times in my marriage that I've got mad about something, said something, I had to go back and, and say, I'm sorry for what I said. I shouldn't have said that. We, we have to do that. We can be angry and sin not. Did Jesus get angry and sin not? Absolutely. He got into the, into the temple, got mad at what they were doing, flipped the tables over, told them, what to, told them they shouldn't be doing it, but then he just went on with his life. It didn't control him. And so we've got to understand that. And then go to the next verse. It says, neither give place to the devil. When you have this in your life, it's going to control you. It's a consuming fire. Bitterness, wrath, anger, malice. And the Bible says we're supposed to be long-suffering. Think about what I said this morning. If you die to yourself, I die daily, you're not going to have a problem with this one. But when we think we deserve something better, this long-suffering we don't have anymore. And God wants us not to have, he wants us to have long suffering in our life. Neither give place to the devil. So we have the first one is long suffering. That one's an easy one. The next two are a little bit more difficult. Gentleness. When I think of gentle, there's certain animals that come to my mind. It's not an alligator. It's a little bunny. Do you not think a bunny is just a gentle animal? You just like to pet it and it probably won't hurt you. I never thought that about a tiger. Tigers are beautiful animals, but I don't want to pet one. We've got to see what gentleness says. Gentleness denotes graciousness, tenderheartedness, kindness. Well, you think God wants us to be kind? Be tenderhearted, kind one to another. Doesn't it say that in the Bible? It is our attitude towards sin, but not towards our attitude toward the brethren. It is, not our, it is not our attitude towards sins, but our attitude towards the brethren. We need to understand that sin is sin and we need to talk about it. But we need to understand it's not towards the brethren. You can get mad at somebody's position and, and understand you're probably not going to change them if you have the wrong spirit, but you can pray about it and you can still treat them with some respect. I don't agree with everything probably anybody believes in here. Right? We probably have different beliefs on certain things. But we don't have to be at each other's throats about it. I know of people that they take something, they run with it, and then they're no longer gentle. Gentleness is a disharmony fighter. That blows away the disharmony unit in, in, in certain organizations. It comes from submitting ourselves to God. It produces a tender relationship between all brethren, found in 1 Thessalonians 2, 3-8. through 8. It is reflected in consideration of, for all people. I like this. It says, let your moderation be known unto what? All men. You don't, we don't have to be rude. I can meet somebody and not agree with them and not be rude. 
I know of some people that just think they have to be rude all the time. It's their way or the highway. And I'm talking about doctrinal issues in the Bible. I mean, I've went toe-to-toe with a free will Baptist. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. The Bible never teaches that. I don't believe you can work your way to heaven. It's because that's what the Bible, the Bible tells us we can't do that. And we look at these things, we go, how in the world are we going to deal with this? We've just got to be gentle. We can still be gentle. We can still be civil. I like this. It says, it takes the wind out of self-appointed fruit inspectors. Let's look at this really quick. And I wrote this a couple, probably three or four years ago, but go go back to Matthew chapter seven. I love these verses. Um, When I went out to California, we moved from Illinois to California. When we got to the California border, we had no issues going from one state to the next until we got to California. When we got to California, now you got to realize your truck shifts a lot when you're driving. And the load shifts in the back. We get out to California, we've got the largest truck you could possibly rent, and we've got it filled to the brim in the very back. And um, they tell us when we get to the state, they stop us and they say, we need to look in the back of your truck. The only state that would do that. Do you know why they were wanting to look in the back of our truck? Because people were bringing fruit trees from other city, states, and those fruit trees were bringing fruit flies that were destroying crops. And I reassured him that I didn't have any fruit trees in the back of my truck, but that didn't matter. He had to inspect my truck for fruit trees that I didn't even have. And we had to open that thing up slowly and you're praying that it just doesn't all fall out. And and he got up in there and looked around. I thought, oh my word, we don't have any trees in there. But sometimes people want to inspect when they shouldn't inspect. Let's look at this story. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, it says this. It says, "Um, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. It's going back to this when it talks about gentleness. We've got to understand that we're, we're, not, we're the ones, we've got to look at this and see what God wants us to do. And gentleness is what God wants us to have. He wants us to have this. Gentleness allows you to be steadfast and unmovable in your own convictions, yet tenderhearted and patient towards those who are still growing in the faith. You know the hard thing about preaching to people? is there's, there's all different types of people in here with where they are in their spiritual walk. You have some that are just new. Some that are not growing very fast, and you've got some that are growing really fast. And then you've got some that are very mature trees in here. I'm not going to say fruits, but trees, okay? And, and so you've got, to, you've got to try to preach to all those where they can understand what you're saying. And, and when, I study the, when I've been studying the Gospels, you just see that with his disciples. You know, he's telling all these people things, and and you wonder, why is he telling all these parables? He was trying to teach his 12 so they would understand. And he would reiterate what he was trying to do in different forms to get them where they needed to go. And they would not, he even said this, he said, you won't even understand what I'm trying to teach you 
until I'm gone. Because then the Holy Spirit would indwell them, and then they would think, that's what Jesus said. And that's what he taught us while he was here. And so we've got, I've got to teach to all different types of people. You're going to have your Sunday morning crowd. You're going to have your Sunday night crowd. You're going to have your Sunday night and your Wednesday night crowd. They're all different people. But I can tell you this, that we've got to, we don't have to be, we don't have to move on our steadfast and unmovable to still have patience with other people. The same apostle Paul who wrote, who spoke of boldness, also spoke of gentleness. Listen to this verse. But we were gentle among you, and he's talking to the church of Thessalonica, even as a nurse, nurse chareth her children. He says, listen, you don't have to be rough. You don't have to be harsh. You can still have that form of gentleness. If you say, well, that's just the way I am, then change. Have the Holy Spirit change you. He talked, what are the two, two preachers that he talks to? He writes letters to. Paul writes two letters to two preachers. What's their name? Timothy. You know, on both those, he told both Timothy and Titus to be gentle. And he wasn't sacrificing who they were. He said, listen, you can be gentle because people need that in you. We can only conclude that boldness and gentleness do not conflict nor contradict each other. Gentleness does not mean that you have to be weak, timid, or shy with your witness to an, to an edifying of others. Unfortunately, many Christians confuse boldness with rudeness. But they are not at all the same. You know what boldness is? Courage and readiness. I think Paul was one of the most bold people, Tamara, when I look at what he did. Wow, what he did. He stood toe-to-toe with the people that were in control of many governments. He told them, they would ask him a simple question, he'd preach a whole thing to them. He'd preach the gospel from, from Adam all the way to Revelation, he would tell them exactly what he thought. Rudeness is this, crude, discourteous, ill-mannered and rough. You know, some of the people that I've met that are preachers are sometimes that way. On a side note, just real quick. You know, I have, and I'm not totally against preachers yelling and doing all that. I don't have a problem with that. But you know the one thing that I have a problem with? Is the man that molested my wife was one of the hardest-nosed preachers you'll ever meet. And you know what I think of, Lee? He was a rude man. And then when push comes to shove, Denver, he never even said he was sorry to my daughter, my wife. He sat in a room with her, stared her down, and tried to intimidate her. And he'd get up from the pulpit, boom, 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 and yet he was molesting 70 or 80. I'm not saying all men do it, but I'm telling you what, I, what, I've, what my experience was with him. And, and I see we get so wrapped up sometimes in emotion that we think being crude or rude is great. But I'll tell you right now, the Bible says that we're supposed to be bold. And bold doesn't mean that you can't, you can stand if you're bold. And look at this word, it says gentleness. You can still be, have gentleness in your heart and have boldness in your heart. Paul was one that was like that. But he told his preacher boys, he said, listen, you've got to show some gentleness to these people. They need to see that you care for them. And that you love them. I, I, I met one guy, and, and I loved his preaching. He's since passed away, and he was a good man. But he would get up and just bam, 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 bam. But then when he got out of the pulpit, he was the most humble person. It was like he was Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I was like, is this the same guy? 
And I, and I loved him. I remember him preaching a message about God's given eyeball. Look at me and God's given eyeball. And he was going off and he can't meet him preaching. I loved to listen to him preach. But then when you got to meet him, he was one of the most humble people I've ever met. And I could deal with that. But we get so wrapped up and we have to be rude or crude. We have to be right in your face. And you know what the Bible says? He says the Holy Spirit will give you gentleness. Look at some of these things the Holy Spirit gives you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meaning when people say things or do things to you, you don't need to react. Gentleness. We can be that way. The Bible clearly states that we're supposed to have that. You will not get this other than the Holy Spirit giving it to you. <laughs> you know why? Because we like to fight. Um, I always thought it was funny when girls' fights, their, their, games, their fights are never over. When witnessing or encouraging your brethren, learn to be firm but polite and easily entreated. There's been times when I've witnessed one person more than one time. And if I didn't use gentleness in it, I would have never been able to talk to him the second time. We live in a Bible belt here, don't we? Well, I'm supposed to. I think the buckle has been undone and the belt's gone, amen? Um, everybody goes to church. But, you know, there's been times in my life when I've went up and, I, and I've talked to people and, and my certain college that I went to would always, you'd, you'd ask that question. I'm not against asking that question. If you die today, where would you spend eternity? But most people are going to lie to you here. Oh, I, I'm saved. And then, oh, and, and, and then I'll say, well, how do you know you're saved? Tell me, tell me your story. Well, that's personal. That tells me they really don't know. And so we've got to get back to being a gentle person. And I know that doesn't sit well with some people, but you know what? We don't have to be against everybody. We've got enough battles we have to fight anyway. God wants us to be gentle. Now we have the last one, and, and this is the one that I really like. It is goodness. The word implies virtue that is totally equipped in every point to carry out good works. It denote, denotes generosity and usefulness. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to see these. And this one, I've got a bunch of verses I want you to write down so you can look up later. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, and I want you to look at one verse. In verse number 10, it says this. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which Christ hath been ordained that we should walk in them. Here he's saying in this verse, he says, You know, we're a workmanship. God has made us. It says, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works, that's what we're supposed to be. And here's this word, goodness is found out of there. And so the Spirit comes in and he gives us, a, it causes a Christian to be constantly doing good works, not only for the Lord, but for those around you. So you know what the Bible tells us supposed to do? I'm supposed to be doing good to people around here. If Peter has a need, I, I can fulfill it, I'll try to do it. You know, we get sometimes wrapped up in other people's jobs and we go, I, I don't want to help them, that's not my job. Today I just needed some time to just get away and pray, and so I like to do things when I pray. So I went in the, in the fellowship hall, and I put all the tables and chairs up. There's not one time I thought, you know, this is Jeremy's job. Where's Jeremy at when I need him? Where, Nathan, he, 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 it's his job too. Where's he at? Should I call Alan, wake him up, and say, hey, get over here? You know, if you've got the opportunity to do something good, do it. It won't kill you to be good. Remember when your kids were bad? Do you remember how they acted? I remember how my kids acted. They would, they would stay away from us. 
But when they were good, you know what they tried to do? They tried to stay close to us. And you know, that's a perfect picture of what God is in our life. If we are good, we're going to stay close to him. And we want to talk to him. If we are bad, what do we want to do? We want to stay away from him. We don't want to see him anymore. We don't want him to tell us what to do. And so here we have goodness. It says, um, it is important to understand that goodness, that good and goodness are, the part of, are, are not a part of our nature. People will say to you, are you a good person? And what, what will most people say? I don't know very many people that when you talk to them, Wayne, and you say, are you a good person? They'll say, no, I'm not a good person. Most people will in turn turn around and say, yes, I'm a good person. Correct? Do you know very many bad people? Even bad people don't realize they're bad. They think they're good. Why is that? Because they base it on other people that they know. There's always someone better than you, right? And so you're a good person equated to them. But in this, the Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit indwells me and gives me the fruit of the spirits. And one of those fruits of the spirit is being good. And, and we can look at it all we want. And the Bible says, clearly states that we're supposed to have goodness in our life. We look at our kids. Uh, uh, Mrs. Matlock, you, you went back teaching this week. And the kids are good sometimes, but are they bad sometimes? Oh, yeah. You can tell when they're bad. I remember my, my daughter, she went to school, and, and she was in first grade out in California, and, and she, she just had a bad year, my oldest one. She forged my wife's signature in crayon on the back of a report card. And it looked just like my wife's signature. That was the sad thing. The next week, I call, she gets called to the principal. I'm the principal. I come in and say, what is going on with you? The next week, she's sitting there, and she has this desk, and she opens it and closes it. Opens it and closes it. Opens and closes it. Numerous times. Then finally, the teacher is a first-year teacher, and she finally looks at her and sees that she's chewing on something. And she, what she's done is she's put food inside of her, of, of, of her desk, and she's not supposed to have it there. And she starts eating it, starts eating it, starts eating it. And she's eating it slowly. And finally the teacher says, "Hun, what, what's going on with you? And she said, I, I don't know. And she starts making this off the cuff. She said, I, I haven't eaten in three days. My parents won't feed me. So she goes to the principal. I'm the principal. I wanted to go, if you think you haven't eaten in three days, I'll show you not eating three days. We're not naturally, I didn't have to train her to do this. She just did it. Wait till their son gets old enough. He's going to be a doozy. <laughs> and as I look at this, we don't have to be taught to be bad. We have to be taught to be good. And when the Holy Spirit indwells you, we know where that goodness comes from. Good and goodness come only from the Lord. Evil and wickedness make up our natural inclinations. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. When goodness comes through us, it is not us, but Christ that flows through us. Let's look at that verse, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, listen, this is nothing that I have done. It's everything that Christ has done through me. 
Again, this is the selfless, selfless side that we look at. We must be careful not to take credit for any good, good flowing through us, but rather give God the praise and glory. We've got to watch that. When you get, I'm thinking of Lacey. When Lacey gets up here and sings, it's, I love hearing her sing. But she's got to get to the point where she says, it's not me, it's God. When, when Daniel or, or, or all the other, when Regina gets up and plays the piano and they have a great um, offertory, you say, man, that's great. If, if they said, yeah, I know, just you want me to sign your Bible? They're not going to do that. There's that one song Regina plays all the time and it ends and then it starts back up. Lee knows what it is. He doesn't stand up. I stand up every time. But you look at it and the ability that God's given you, anything that's good that comes out of you, God's given it to you. We must be careful for not taking any credit for anything good flowing from us. Well, you say that seems like that's kind of indifferent. It's not really indifferent. It's just the way you look at yourself. You can say, oh, yeah, I'm great, or oh, yeah, God's great. He gave me the ability to do this. I'm going to give you just about, there's about 11 of them I want you to write down. We're going to look at the last one. Um, here's a partial New Testament synopsis of goodness and good. Here's some verses if you want to write these down. Write Romans 2.10 to look at it later. But glory, honor, and peace to, to every man that worketh good. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 10. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, cleave to that which is good. In Romans chapter 12, verse 21, it says, overcome evil with what? Good. <laughs> you watch these protesters out there. Are they overcoming evil with good? No, they're come, oh, trying to overcome evil with evil. That never works. Never works. Never works. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, do good unto all men. There's that word good. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we looked at it. We are his workmanship created in Christ unto good works. That's why we were created to do good works. We weren't created to be in neutral, just coasting. We were created to do good works. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 says this, Do not render evil for evil, but follow after good works. Man, Paul had this down. He wrote so many great verses about this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 7, it says, It is the scripture that equips us unto all good works. Titus 2.12, he writes to Titus, and he says, We are to be a peculiar people, zealous unto all good works. Where do we get these good works? The goodness is from us through the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Then, we, then it says this, we are to learn to maintain our good works, Titus 3.14. Hebrews 13.21, it is Christ that makes us perfect in every good work. And 1 Peter chapter 3 says this, we are to be followers of that which is good. Now I want you to turn to your Bibles to James and we're almost done. James chapter 4. Because I've never, when I studied this, I don't usually look at this verse as goodness through the Holy Spirit, but it truly is what, it's, what, it's, what he's referring to. How many of you like to study the book of James? If you want a, a good book to look at, look at the book of James. James is a very well written, they're all well written, but this is something that you can just put into your life and, and be different for it. But how many of you know that God wants you to do good? Raise your hand. 
Okay, some of you don't think God wants you to do good. How many of you think God wants you to do evil? Okay, no one raise your hand on that one. Okay, God does not want you to do evil. He wants you to do good. How many of you ever had an opportunity to do good? And you did it. Raise your hand. Well, that's, wait, don't be shy. You're, you're, just raise your hand if you did it. Okay, how many times have you, has God told you to do good and you were supposed to do good and you didn't do it and you felt bad about not doing it? I've done that. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits, is goodness. And the Holy Spirit is inside of you telling you, do good to people. Sometimes we get too wrapped up in the, the line. We get, get out of line or, or, or I, I can't help somebody because I'm in a line to do something and I can't go out and do it. I've done that before. God's clearly spoken to me, Lee, sometimes about going over and helping somebody, and I'm standing in line at Walmart and go, if I step out of line, there's seven guys behind me, and I'm going to be way back here. There's been times when I, man, have you ever done this, where you, you go out and you get a list and you buy all the lists, and right when you pay for the bill, your wife texts you or calls you and says, hey, by the way, I need you to add this to it. Oh. Then you start acting like you, your car's running. I'm sorry, I'm in the car already. And all it takes is for you to walk back out and come back. If it was what you wanted, you'd go get it. Mark, you and I are on the same boat here. I'm telling you right now. There's times when I get out there and my wife goes, she waits. I think she's got, a, she's got like a sensor on her phone saying, okay, he's checked out. I'm going to call him and ask him for one more thing. And then she asks me for things. I have no earthly idea where they're at. And then I have to ask, and no one in Walmart knows where they're at. And so you, you, you've got to go out there and say, okay, am I going to do what's good or am I going to do what I like? And there's that Holy Spirit coming in you. He tells you, listen, you need to have love in your life. You need to love me despite what everything's going on around you. And in that love, you know what love gives you? It gives you trust. Because if you love, love the Lord, through your problems, you'll trust the Lord. And then you have this joy that, that passes all understanding. And you have this peace then you have this long suffering. When someone says something to you or does something to you, you can get through it anyway because it's not about you. You're dying daily. And then there's this gentleness where you don't have to be harsh. When I equate someone of not having gentleness, I equate a lost person. And it is true, they, 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 they don't understand this. But I've met some very harsh people that are just rude, crude, and they could care less what you think. But that's not how we're supposed to operate. Well, that's how I am. That's your old nature, not the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Then you have this word goodness, <laughs> that you're supposed to be good. I can remember certain times when I wasn't good when I was growing up, quite a few times. One of the times that always comes back to me is when I was eating and my mom told me to eat lima beans. I love lima beans now. I didn't like lima beans then. And so when she wasn't looking, I put them underneath my plate. And I lined the whole outside of my plate with them. But she couldn't see them. And I can remember vividly, and I was probably, I would say, seven or eight years old, I remember her bragging about how good I was. You ate all your lima beans. And she said, well, you can go out and 
you can go out and play now because you did that. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, but I really wasn't as good as what you thought I was. And I went out and I started playing. It wasn't too long that the proverbial first and, and middle name was yelled out our door. And when you get your middle name, you know you're in trouble. And she came in and she said, what is this? And then I could be good or I could be bad, and I, and I was bad again. I said, I have no idea what that's from. There's a circle of lima beans around the outside of my plate. You know what she made me do? She made me eat every one of them. And they were cold, and they were even more nasty when they were cold. And I, and I started eating those things, and I thought, man, if I'd have just done what was right, done the good thing. But you know, there's times in my life when God tells me to do something good, and sometimes I don't do it. Sometimes people might say something bad about you, and God says, why don't you be kind to them? Hmm. And then there's sometimes, and, and here's how I react. I see, think, think to God and say, why don't you, and I, I know you don't do this, but I do this. I say, why don't you mind your own business, God, and let me do what I want to do? And then God beats me up even more. And then I don't do good. And then I walk away thinking, I have won. <laughs> In all actuality, I've lost where you could be kind to someone and you could show mercy to them and you could be and you could be good to them. But what do you do when God tells you to do something good and you don't do it? Here's one of those verses my mom made me memorize and this is our last verse. We are supposed to be good. If God tells you if God tells you Lowell to be good and you don't you you're not good, what does this mean? You've done wrong. There's, we, we don't look at it that way because you know what? Sometimes God speaks to me in my mind and says, Wendell, you've got to do this. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. And so then I don't do it and it's all inside of me and, and, I, don't, and I, don't, I think no one's noticing. But God knows the intents of your heart and God knows what he told you to do. And when you didn't do it, you were sinning. There's a verse that tells you that, that that's true. Go to this verse, James chapter 4. And it's one of my favorite verses because I had this memorized growing up. James chapter 4, verse 17. Either you're going to believe the Bible or you're not going to believe the Bible. It says this. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's okay. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you know you're supposed to do good and you don't do good, to him it is sin. Now, I don't know about you. When I was a child, I had a mom and a dad that would want me to do right. And they would watch me. But eventually, you're going to get old enough where, guess what? Mom and dad are no longer there. But there's a bigger authority. It's called God, and he tells you what to do, and we don't do it. And then we say, well, no one knows about what God told me to do. But God does. The Bible says this. To him... That no, do good. How many of you know what, what good is in your life? Okay, watch this. Do you know you're supposed to read your Bible every day? Do you know you're supposed to study your Bible? Do you know you're supposed to meditate on your Bible? you know you're supposed to pray every day? Do you know you're, nah, I'm not going to look down. you know you're supposed to tithe? I'm not looking at anybody. you know you're supposed to give to offering? you know you're supposed to be kind to each other? And when you don't do all these things, what is it? To him, it is sin. So the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be good. 
And the Holy Spirit's indwelling us. And what happens when you don't do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do? You're quenching the Spirit. Almost like you would a campfire when you want to put it out. You're throwing water on it. What happens? The campfire's not going to get stronger if you throw water on it. Is it? You're putting it out. So every day you're supposed to get up in the morning and say, Lord, help me find love in my life. Help me find that joy in my life. Help me find that peace in my life. Help me, help me long suffer. Let me get through the things that are going to go wrong my way, but let me not counterattack. Let me not be vengeful. Lord, let me have some gentleness. I don't have to be mean-spirited. And Lord, show me, show me that I can be good and have goodness in my life. You know, it's not easy to do. It's not. Because you know why? It's not a nature that we normally have. It's something that the Holy Spirit gives you. And what you need to do is you need to feed the Holy Spirit rather than feed yourself. And when I say this to you, I'm not talking to anybody in general. I'm talking to myself. When I get up in the morning, I am supposed to be gentle. I'm supposed to be, have goodness. I'm supposed to have love, joy, peace in my life. And there's times when I wake up and that just does not happen. And when it doesn't happen, you've got to see it and turn it around. Because the best way, the, the safest place you are is in the center of God's will. And the safest place to be in the center of God's will is follow the Holy Spirit leading. If you don't think the Holy Spirit is important, read the books of the gospel and see what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit all the time. And the Holy Spirit's one we don't talk about. We talk about God and we talk about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is God also. And he's indwelling you and he wants you to act a certain way. He has more influence on your life once you're saved than Jesus and God does because he's, he's walking with you and talking with you and pointing you the right direction. And you're never, we're never going to do good if we don't listen to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus took the Holy Spirit very serious when he talked about him. He's part of the Trinity, three in one. Are you quenching the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit give you these nine things to move forward with? Where are you at on long-suffering? Where are you at in goodness? Where are we at in just being gentle? God wants us to be that way. With every head bowed and every eye closed. With no one looking around, I just want to, I just want to do this. Understand this. That our God loves you. Your God loves you. He does. But he wants you. But he wants you to follow him. We look at the disciples, and when he met some of the disciples that were fishermen, he said, follow me, and they instantly left their whole career and followed him. They didn't know how long they were going to be. They didn't know if it was going to be three years. They didn't know if it was going to be 20 years. They didn't know if it was going to be 60 years with Christ walking beside them. And they were devastated when Christ died. But he rose again, and then the Holy Spirit indwelt them later on. And God walked within them. 
man, we serve a great God. He's got this whole thing planned out. He just wants us to follow his lead. And we are people, and we will let each other down. And we are people in this auditorium. We might not understand great uh, goodness. We might not understand gentleness. But you know what? That's what God wants in your life. Watch what you say. Watch how you respond. Because we, we are supposed to be an example to those around us. Just like Christ was an example to his disciples. Lord, I, I love these people. Lord, let them know that. Lord, I think as, a, as we study what, what the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the, spirits are, the Spirit are, that we may truly understand that you want love in our life. That love that you gave us, the agape love, is unconditional. The joy, the peace. Sometimes you're going to want us to be long-suffering, not to attack, not to be vengeful, not to be angry. But then on the other side, you want us to be have gentleness. We can't have gentleness without long-suffering. We can't have goodness without long-suffering. Lord, it says that we're supposed to be good to those around us. And if we are not good and we do not follow that goodness that you have for us, it is a sin, as James says. May we truly understand that. We understand that you love us and you care for us and you're trying to make us like you. And it's a work sometimes. We might not see it until we get to heaven. But Lord, thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for the long suffering you show me. Thank you for the love that you show me and the peace and the joy you give me. Lord, thank you for being gentle to me. And thank you for being good to me. Lord, may we truly see what you've done to us so that we can do unto others. May we love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, we'll give you all that praise for what you can make out of us, not who we are, but who you've made. Lord, we're thankful for what you've done. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you could stand for us. Lee's going to start singing in just a second. But we understand gentleness. God wants us to be gentle. We don't have to be harsh. God wants us to be good. And if we're not good, it's sin. But the third one, long-suffering, that's a hard one. You can't do it without God. You need God to help you through the long suffering. If I were to ask you this question, how many of you, uh, at my hand, I'm not, you don't even need to raise your hand, but my hand would be raised on all of them. I have to deal with all of them in my life. Sometimes I'm not the most loving person. Sometimes I'm not very joyful. That long suffering, that really gets me sometimes. But the Holy Spirit's just sitting there just begging you to follow him. Because if you follow him, you're in the safest place and you're in the best place in your world, in, in your life. Just thank him for who, he's, who he is. Let's just, tonight, in your pews or up at the altar, let's just thank God for the Holy Spirit that he makes us who we need to be. How many of you are thankful for what the Holy Spirit does in your life? Would you raise your hand? When's the last time you really thanked him? Let's just sit here and just thank him. Either sit down, come to this old-fashioned altar, as Lee just sings two verses and we're done. But I want you to really just think about what the Holy Spirit's done in your life. Aren't you thankful that he's there to comfort you? Lord, I thank you so much for this day. Just be with this invitation.
that people will be thankful, not only for, for the Father and the Son, but the Holy Spirit. Thank you for indwelling us and giving us these nine fruits that we get solely from you. In Jesus' name we pray as the invitation starts.